2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the true state of tech, whether that sector is investable right now or not. We'll debate that with the investment committee and separate the likely winners and losers. Joining me for the hour today, Liz Young, Surat Saty, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova. Do what we always do to start the show. Let's check stock. Do have a nice reversal in the Nasdaq. It's been volatile, been all over the place, holding at fifteen thousand one hundred eight. S and P up uh, nearly one percent. The Dow's the outperformer, one and three quarters percent. One thirty nine on the ten-year note yield. Joe Terranova, you first. I want to know what the state of tech is. I want to know what's investable. And I want to know what isn't, because if I look, I've got the cloud ETF was down 3% earlier today. Tech software has been getting smoked. The arc stocks are getting clubbed. What can we invest in and what can't we?
3: Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Facebook, anything related to innovation and take innovation. And go beyond technology think about innovation as it relates to decentralized finance as it relates to mobility as it relates to health care as it relates to technology itself it's innovation right now where because the cost of capital is going to increase that's where you're seeing an adjustment in terms of what the risk profile is and no longer are speculators willing to pay that premium so There is going to be a significant bifurcation that we've been talking about for the better part of the last month in technology. If you could show me revenue in the moment, the here and now, then I will pay the premium for your share price. But if you are a Peloton, a Zoom, a Zillow, a DocuSign, and at some point in the future the revenue is going to be generated, well, guess what? Your cost of capital increased, and you are going to continue to be challenged
2: with your share price. Further selling is ahead. Wow, because it's not like... FANG Plus has lit the world on fire recently. Now, granted, they're not down as much as some of the other stocks. But, you know, Liz, I'm, you know, Microsoft over the last week, 4% decline. Alphabet, 3%. Amazon, 4%. Meta, Facebook down 7%. NVIDIA is down 12%. How do you see it? Do I need to run from tech altogether or can I be a little selective just depending on where I want to put my money?
4: Well, I think you have to be selective. I would never say to run from tech. I'm also going to make the broad assumption that most people were either overweight tech or heavily allocated to tech coming into this. I think what we're going through is a shakeout, I hate to use that buzzword, but a shakeout that preempts a regime change. We tried to do this a couple times earlier in the year, but we didn't have confirmation that the regime was going to change to an actual tightening environment. Now what Jay Powell did was give us confirmation that we're going to see that in 2022. So this is preempting another rotation back into some of the places that aren't going to be as rate sensitive. So I think it's natural that tech goes through a sell off here. I don't think you exit tech entirely. I agree with Joe. You look at high quality tech names. I also think if you're really a long term investor, there's a ton of new business formation going on right now. A lot of that is happening in the tech space. So over the long term, I think tech does fine. But if you're going to invest in those new business formations and those super high growth names. Don't look at it for the next 12 months.
2: I know, but but Weiss Joe said I can't invest in the DocuSigns are down 43 percent in a week and the cloud flares that are down 23 percent or the Zooms at 16 and Salesforce at 13 and CrowdStrike at 15 and Zscaler at 22 and on and on and on. I've got to be that selective. I can't invest in any of those names because if I just winnow it down to to big cap tech, OK, I mean, that's fine. But that's that's all I've got.
5: Well, uh, there are a few others, and I'm actually in sort of shock today because this is the first time Corvo and Skyworks, which are my primary tech plays, have been up when the others are down, when NVIDIA is down. So I think what the market's telling you is that we're looking at valuation and we're looking at performance. And the stocks that have done extremely well, like the NVIDIA's, and the stocks that are very expensive, like the NVIDIA's, and maybe that's a bad example, you can't buy them right now. Maybe there'll be a time. NVIDIA is a special example, but when I go to the names that you mentioned, to DocuSigns, which doesn't, I believe, have a motorrounds its business, but is still very expensive. No, I think you stay away from those. Well, when's I the time? I think that time when's is the done time? How, totally. how am I gonna
2: know the time? I mean, DocuSign's down 54% from its high. Cloudflare is at 33, Zoom's 59. Some of these other names, like Fastly, is down 71% off of its 52-week high. When am I going to know? If not now, when? Well, I I think you can take your time because I don't think it's going to matter.
5: That's not where you want to be going forward because that was a moment in time, it was a long moment in time where the market was not looking at valuation whatsoever, not looking at the actual fundamentals either. It was purely a momentum play, and I believe the momentum market is over at this point, at least for those names. So DocuSign, just because the stock came down 50%, like DocuSign, doesn't mean it's cheap. It's cheaper than it was, but still not cheap enough to buy. So I would
2: stay away from those completely. I mean, Sirat, I'm looking at the 10-year note yield right now. To 139 as I look at my screen. And that's up 4% today, right? So it's, it's been sinking. Shouldn't mm. these stocks in this current environment still catch a little bit of a bid based on, if nothing else, the 10-year yield? Say I can justify a higher multiple for those stocks because rates are so low?
1: I, I think you could theoretically say that, Scott. But I think the market's looking through that also to say, you know, perhaps we shouldn't be at 1.4, and perhaps we should be higher. And given that, and to Steve's point, some of these stocks, you know, they shouldn't have been as high as they, they were, and they shouldn't even be where they are now when you're trading at 14, 17, 20 times sales. I think there's other parts of the market that are investable, and I think investors are starting to be more dis, you know, discerning, given that if rates are going to go up and we're going to see some more opportunity in other areas, where there is going to be earnings growth, and, and we're going to actually, you know, so the market today is telling you, you know, may, you know we're coming out of it. Um, but it goes back and forth. And I do think that uh, to Liz's point, we were overinvested. There were a lot of investors. This was a very crowded trade. Uh, momentum was there. But there's a ton of value in other tech and there's a ton of value in some of the other uh, I know
2: But when the well. whole desk says stay away from these names... It makes me feel like okay, maybe that's a contrarian indicator in and yeah. of itself when everybody hates these stocks hey, they 're going to go through this turnover so I 'll throw
1: in a name okay uh, but but I, I I like one stock that is uh, trades on sales is is roblox right I mean i don 't consider Roblox in the same category as some of those because you actually have innovation there you have something that's unique and you have a mode around your business I think that is something you want to look for so you could catch a falling knife and some of the others and you know a, a thing like roblox that's come down over 20 percent if you have enabled it could be a chance for us to, to get
2: more of it. i mean i'm looking at roblox right now and assuming i'm looking at the right information i mean that's 39 times sales that's still expensive in the kind of world that you all are talking about and and by the way it, it it's, not like, t- it's not like it's not like throughout every other name on the list that i read you and i didn't even finish the list uh those have real innovation. Those are real businesses. They have real fundamentals. They may have just gotten ahead of themselves, um, but Roblox is the one you pick out of a hat. Well, no, it's not out a hat. I've
1: talked about it before. I've owned it. Uh, but you, you would ask, for, well, what are you going to pick? And some of the stocks that have come down that are trading at price to sales. So, you know, that's what we've done a lot of work on. That's where we're more comfortable for the long term. I don't know where it's going to be three to six months, but I feel that has a moat around its business that some of the others, like a DocuSign and a Peloton, don't as much.
2: Oh, All right. Uh, let's bring in Bryn Talkington now. Why? Because she is invested in the ARK stocks. ARK stocks, the ARK Innovation Fund over the last week's down 14 percent. In the past month, it's down 25 percent. It is 42% off of its 52-week high. So, Bryn, I welcome you in. Thank you for being a part of the show today. Thanks, Scott. Happy to be here. So, uh, you know, you're the only one. I wanted you to to call in because I know you have exposure here. How do you feel about the Arc investment that you have now? And to my question of whether these kinds of stocks are investable right now.
6: Yeah, I think you, you, you hit it. Really well, I think. Asking which ones do, you, which stocks in these in these high growth sectors do you buy? Because I think it's really difficult right now. And, and originally, when we bought Arc in March of 2020, we wanted to have exposure to publicly traded companies that have VC type growth characteristics. But to your point, it is really hard to figure out which one of these companies will survive and thrive. And so that was the original thesis back in March of 2020. Of, 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 adding to ARC. And then as we all saw in 20, late 2020, everything got pulled forward and, you know, ARC was up a hundred and I think 30 or 40% in 2020. You know, in fact, in the third quarter of 2020, J.P. Morgan had a structured product that came out that was levered long to arc, And we saw that. We're like, well, this is getting crazy. And so in December, as I've talked about, of 2020, and again in February, we reduced the position. Because I think you have to, as a market participant, as a market allocator, you really have to respect mean reversion. And so we still have a position and, you know, and when we reduced back in February, you asked me when we were going to buy more, and I told you I'd let you know. We're not buying, we're not buying any more now. We're going to wait. Because you really have to respect the market here, and we all have to remember in these kind of stocks, they move up somewhat on an escalator, but they sure do come down on, a, on an elevator. And that's what's happening right now. I think what's a little bit frustrating, though, on my part is definitely you see algorithms and hedge funds have taken this name, and it's a very quick way in one symbol, if you use ARKK, just to sell those basket of names. And so I do think it's become somewhat of a you know, hedge fund short position. That will have to flush out. But when I look at these underlying companies, Square, Tesla, UiPath, Unity, CRISPR, Coinbase, Roku, it's like those are great companies. Why would I want to sell them now just because the market's having a panic attack or hedge funds are attacking the strategy?
2: How much more do you think these kinds of stocks need to come down before you start legitimately taking a look and buying more?
6: I mean, I think think this strategy is – I think you're going to have – A solid quarter. I can't give you a percent. I'm not that, I'm not that smart to know exactly where it stops. But I think this is going to be a tough strategy for at least a quarter. I think people are still panicked about inflation and they're using this as an excuse to sell it. And so I think wait till it stops, you know, wait till it stops falling. Let the dust settle, and then it needs to trade sideways because anytime a stock or an ETF like this has come down so quickly, you really need to see a new base form. And so we'll look at it over the next quarter before we decide when we want to, you know, when we want to add. But longer term, we're going to be adders to this position because where else are you going to buy these types of companies with such a great? You know, Kathy and her analysts do such great work on these companies, and so I think people dismissing her now are very short-sighted.
2: All right, I appreciate you calling in, Brim. We'll see you back on the. Show uh, soon. I know that. My, Weiss. My, my issue here is that you know, unlike Kathy Wood and company at the Ark Funds, the average investor may not have the kind of staying power that Kathy Wood has. Right? She'd be the first to tell you, and she says it frequently, if not every time she's on. Her time horizon for these kinds of stocks is five years. Right? So she doesn't care about heavy spending and heavy losses because her time horizon is so long out in the future that she's willing to make those kinds of bets. Is that the only way that you can view these stocks now? You have to have such a long runway ahead of you and just be willing to suffer through pain to get to the other side?
5: I I think it is, Scott. Look, it's very difficult to say where the valuation supports the stock. I mean, take Unity, for example. They're not going to be generating EBITDA, positive EBITDA for another year or or half a year. So was 80 times sales right multiple? Is 40 times or 30 times right multiple? Don't know. It's a function of the market and of what drives the market. So yes, they're good companies. That's a very good company. But it's a question of where it rests out, as Bryn says. Bryn's a great analyst, a great portfolio manager, but Time has to be on your side, and we'll see how long Kathy can hold on, because undoubtedly if you want to perform for a period of time after massive outperformance and experience that momentum in terms of your own fund with investors dying to get in, clamoring to get in, they're also going to be the ones that pull it out. So you have to say, okay, historically and in the future, where should these settle out in terms of valuation and then go into them? And I just don't think you're there yet. Refresh my memory, Weiss. Do you own Unity? No, I owned Unity for a brief period of time because I was actually doing some work on Epic Games, which is a private company, which does generate significant cash flow, billion dollars free cash flow. And uh, when the market started turning, I got rid of Unity. I used to stop on it because it was only a trade. And so I took a little hit. And by the way, that hit was at 195 down from 202 or
2: something. Now, so... Um, I'm just I bring it up. I bring it up, um, Joe, because I look at, you know, Cloudflare, for example, which I mentioned, the big slide in the stock. It's at 80 times sales. Unity's at 40 times sales. Zscaler is at. Uh, I look right now. That's at 50 times sales. These things are like literally um, in the clouds when it comes to their price to sales ratios.
3: Yeah. And, and collectively, I think you, you asked the right question. Uh, when when you're trying to be tactical and pick a winner in an environment where all of these innovation thematic stocks are correcting lower, I think that's the big challenge. I think you actually have to have the diversified approach where you're saying, okay, if I am going to allocate towards innovation, I want to have that ETF structure. I think that's far better than trying to figure out which winner it's going to be. But I still, Scott, don't even think we're at the moment where giving consideration if you are invested to adding further to the innovation theme is warranted. Just take, for example, Cathy's Arc Innovation Fund, OK? Cathy's fund experienced a significant decline February through March. And at that time, many people said, OK, is this the point where you step in and buy it? Well, guess what? It's now lower today than it was at the low point in March. So Kathy has the vision of the future. Kathy has time on her side. And Kathy also has the institutional element that allows her to hold on far longer than the retail community can. And I just urge the retail community to allow patience and discipline to take hold in your actions right here because there is so much Absence of clarity where we're going to be going here looking forward.
2: I just don't believe
3: in catching a falling
2: knife. Well, maybe we're getting more clarity or we're going to start to at least on what we think the Federal Reserve is going to do. And as Bryn said, she thinks a lot of this is an overreaction to fears about inflation. Our senior economics reporter, Steve Leisman has some new reporting on where the Fed is heading and how soon. And um, these numbers represent a pretty good change, Steve, on your reporting of where you think the Fed's going to be, how much they're going to taper by, and when.
7: You know, I, I think what's going to happen, Scott, is uh, for sure there's going to be a discussion and likely a decision on a faster taper. But that faster taper is just a precursor for a whole series of changes, I believe, are taking pay- place uh, both publicly and in the internal debate of the Federal Reserve. I think it's not crazy to think they're going to be talking about rate hikes at this meeting. They have to submit their summer of economic projections. And, and that that conversation is going to involve how soon they're going to get there, how quickly they're going to hike how many space, spacing between the hikes and also how far they're going to go. So um, I, I think the Fed did a 180 uh, this month mu- or in the month of November. Uh, it was a, a, a exclamation point on that 180 by Fed Chair uh, Jay Powell at his testimony. And now they're starting to travel down that road. And if they want to get the rate hikes as soon as the spring, well, they're going to have to start those discussions now.
2: But you said I mean, you think they're going to double the pace of, of the taper. Um, I mean, that's a market change, right? I mean, you go you're going to double it because they're so concerned about where we really are in the inflation picture combined
7: with what they still think is a strong economy and labor market. Yeah, those two things are absolutely right, Scott. So think about it. If you want to get to have the flexibility to hike in the spring or even early summer, you've got to get rid of the taper. Because that's what you told the market. You got to get rid of the asset purchase. That's what you told the market you were going to do. So in order to get there by March or so, you got to go for 15 to $30 billion. And then think about what happened with the data. Well, first of all, you had a strong November jobs report. Go back to November. That didn't show a whole lot of people coming back in. That spoke to tightness in the labor market. Then you had the inflation report came out in the middle of the month. It showed more widespread and a faster pace of inflation. The December numbers, I think the Fed is actually throwing out that top line payroll number at 210,000, looking more closely at the household report, looking at the idea that the job market still looks strong to them. And there's been some influx into the workforce, but that the labor market will remain tight despite that. What about this notion of Bullard throwing it out there? And look, I mean,
2: let's be honest, sometimes Bullard just throws some stuff out there um, that the other people don't necessarily uh, agree with or, or expect him to say. This notion of shrinking the balance sheet and when it's going to be time to do that, because you've got three things to worry about. You've got the taper. You've got the speed of the taper you got actually raising rates, and you've got the shrinkage of the balance sheet. All three things have a dramatic impact potentially on the course of interest rates.
7: I I think the discussion about reducing the balance sheet is going to be had. I think that's a little bit further down the road. I don't think the Fed has to be there quite yet. I think if I were to sequence all three things, they stop buying assets, they start raising rates, the third thing they'll think about is reducing the size of the balance sheet. The Fed is groping in the dark on that one, Scott. You remember it tried to reduce the balance sheet back at the early part of Powell's term here. It didn't go so well. And I think the Fed chair is going to be a little bit, uh, what's the right word, hesitant to blow that again and, and, and figure it out. So I think they're going to be much more careful about reducing the size of the balance sheet. But Bullard, I think, is 100 percent correct. That is an issue that's going to be on the table. The Fed will get there. So, Liz, I want you to stay with me, Leisman. Liz, what, what am I to do then? If, if
2: you know, Leisman's telling me they're going to double the pace. Uh, so what, what do I do as an investor well- if I think that's coming?
4: First of all, tapering faster is a, a much less blunt instrument than raising rates. And we handled the beginning of the taper just fine in the early November hearing that announcement. Now, I was happy to hear Bryn say that she wasn't buying more Arc just because there's blood on the streets. I think that we're set up here just as the calendar is going to show us. We're going to get CPI data on Friday. I don't know that the market's going to love that. And then next week, Wednesday, we hear about what the Fed thinks. If they announce that they're going to double the pace of tapering, and if they put out some projections that are going to cause them to be more hawkish, and we get a hawkish dot plot, I think all of these things are very possible. We're going to see more volatility, especially in those high growth names. I don't think that this is the time that you dip into that and buy that particular pullback. I think you have to wait it out. This time though, if you get a beta sell-off in the market because people are afraid of rate hikes, that's an opportunity to dip into the stuff that should do well in 2022. The things that are undervalued because this is gonna be a situation where valuations matter. So things like energy, financials, industrials, even small cap, I would go small cap value in that trade. And that's what I would do if we get A broad-based sell-off on Fed
2: News. Surat, this all happens, of course, as we're trying to figure out if Santa Claus is going to show up in the market for a Santa Claus rally. Ed Yardeni comments today, should I stay or should I go? Uh, He says the answer is stay. Investors should stay because profits are likely to remain strong, he says, but they should go if they fear that tighter monetary policy will depress elevated valuation multiples. We're inclined to advise staying. Tom Lee says we're going to rally into the year end. right
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think, you know, to Liz's point about a beta sell-off could happen, but I think that's the opportunity. And I think to, for investors to be positioned properly, which is to go where earnings are going to grow. And the market's telling you today that they think these sectors are, that are going to be interest rate sensitive are going to do well, some of the industrials the energy the financials exactly, even some of the healthcare stocks that have been so beaten up, so I do think there's opportunity elsewhere in the market and and we 've had such a good run that it 's okay to take some profits and to reallocate the other part, Scott, is that look if tapering starts happening, the credit markets are going to start opening up and investors are going to start reallocating and looking at potentials in credit as well. Because right now there's no clearing price in credit. The Fed has bought everything that anyone wants to own. I don't know. So I think, think there's going to be opportunities there unless, too.
2: Unless you think the Fed is going to make a big giant mistake by going too fast, which brings me lastly to you, Leesman, is how in the world we got here in the first place. I mean, how do you go from what I had suggested in weeks prior was the most telegraphed taper ever? to all of a sudden saying, well, Powell might have made a mistake last week when he spoke publicly on the Hill. Is he going to clean up the mess he might have made? And now we're talking about doubling the pace of something that seems to
7: be a surprise to a lot of people. How do we get from A to B? It's a big shift, Scott, but, but I think what, what the Fed would say is you've got to go back to the data. The data surprised them in ways and the idea that the inflation turned out not to be transitory anymore they think they have to get serious about inflation i just want to say liz young gave the perfect rundown of what precisely is going to happen on the day the fed comes out they're going to come out they're going to double they're likely to double the size of the taper they're likely to project more rate hikes next year than is currently in the scp (laughs) uh and and i think there's going to be hawkish talk from a fed chair preparing the market for that But here's the question. I don't think the question is whether the Fed is going to double the taper or the question is whether or not they're going to hike rates next next year. I think both those are baked in. I think the question is, how tough is that outlook for the markets? If you're talking about 50 basis points next year amid an economy that's going to grow and grow pretty strong and an unemployment rate that's going to come down, and then the best part of this, if it happens, if you talk about inflation coming back under control come the summer, 50 basis points, 75 basis points. Remember, Scott, we went into this at a 175. We're still at 25 basis points with an economy that's about the same size as it was before we got into this pandemic. So I don't know. I think thinking through the consequences of what's going to happen is a probably more important investment question to ask than actually what's going to happen, because I think it's coming. I got you. By the way, you,
2: you mean you'd think Liz Young is SoFi's chief market strategist by accident, Steve? may it just happen
7: no absolutely not but i was just very impressed with what the way she just boom 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 she you. had it and that's like great great that's exactly what's going to happen all right good stuff well, steve. not exactly i don't know that for sure but it's just likely. thank you as always all right that's that's our steve leesman Thanks. let me
2: let's let, we'll continue the conversation in a second though got to go to kayla tausche in washington who has some breaking news for me hi kayla
8: Hey, Scott, we have just learned that President Biden in a call with Russia's President Vladimir Putin uh, will suggest that the U.S. and European allies are considering uh, severe economic harm imposed on Russia if, in fact, Russia goes forward uh, with military escalation into Ukraine. A senior administration official uh, previewed the call to reporters just a few moments ago. Of course, that call is going to be taking place by a secure video line uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, But notably, this official said that while the U.S. does not feel that it's productive to lay out red lines. He does not envision a situation uh, where the U.S. wants to end up in a circumstance that relies on the direct use of American military force. Rather, President Biden would seek a set of solutions that would include bolstering Ukraine's military, also bolstering the defense capabilities of NATO allies, uh, and also relying on these economic sanctions that the official says the U.S. has discussed with European allies and is set to discuss again today. Other items that will be on the agenda tomorrow Uh, in addition to the Russian military buildup outside Ukraine, strategic stability in cyberspace, in cybersecurity, and as well as uh, space itself. And also the nuclear capability of Iran, of course, talks over uh, the rejoining possibly of the Iran nuclear deal uh, have stalled in recent weeks. But certainly it is going to be a robust call where President Biden will be laying out uh, some of these concerns that the U.S. and European allies have and possible actions by them. if Putin decides to proceed with military escalation, though this official was very careful to note, the U.S. is not aware whether Putin has made any decision to do so. Scott?
2: Okay, Kayla, thank you for that update. That's Kayla Talshi breaking news for us down in Washington. Coming up, CNBC launching the Next Generation 50 Index today. It tracks the stocks younger consumers and younger investors are most interested in. We'll go through some of the names. We'll give you the trades. Dow's up nearly 675. We're back in two minutes.
0: I'm Christina Partsenevelis, and here is your CNBC news update at this hour. The trial of actor Jussie Smollett has resumed in Chicago with the defense, presenting its case after the prosecution rested last week. Smollett is accused of paying two brothers to stage a fake racist and anti-gay attack. It's unclear whether Smollett will take the stand. New York City will require all private sector workers to be vaccinated against COVID-19. The mandate will go into effect December 27th. This comes as a federal vaccine mandate remains tied up in court. More on this story tonight on the news with Shepard Smith, beginning at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Beef and poultry producer Tyson Foods is paying out $50 million in year-end bonuses. It's part of Tyson's ongoing effort to keep and attract employees. It's also implemented pay raises and flexible work schedules to keep workers on the job. And a tradition resumed at last night's Kennedy Center honors as President Biden and First Lady Dr. Jill Biden attended the event. Former President Trump had skipped the event during his time in office. Last night's honorees included Motown founder Barry Gordy and actress and singer Bette Midler. Scott, back over Honor, to
2: you. Christina. Thank you. Christina Partsanovillas. All right, the investment committee is making moves. Let's get one of these out of the way here, Joe. You sold C Gen. You were stopped out, uh, but what now? what now is i have to sit and wait listen i've made several attempts to try and purchase
3: this name it's a clear leader in terms of monoclonal antibodies They have a very compelling partnership with Merck. but the problem and the challenge is that biotech in this environment will continue to struggle this is a company with a very high valuation biotech since october first is down fifteen percent and it's indicative of the climate where currently uh, longer duration assets are being corrected. So, unfortunately, I have to uh, respond to the discipline that I put in place in terms of risk management. And once again, I've made several attempts, but CGEN is not proving to be a profitable
2: uh, holding for me. All right, I mentioned before the break that CNBC is launching a new index today, CNBC's Next Generation 50 tracks the stocks younger consumers and investors are most interested in. It was put together by a team of CNBC's younger reporters and producers. You could say it's millennial-tested and Kramer-approved. Some of the stocks included, tried-and-true names you know, Apple, Amazon, Square, Moderna, Chipotle, Uber, Roblox, which Surratt talked about earlier and more. Joe, you get the first crack. I mean, you're, you're, you're used to putting indexes together. Uh, you do have the ETF, the Joe T. <laughs>
3: so this is fantastic this is exactly the demographic of the population over the coming decade that's going to stimulate the organic growth. It's Gen Z and it's millennials behind them. And collectively, you're talking about 160 million. Scott, what I like about this is the diversified nature of the holdings. You have an Alphabet, you have an Amazon, you have a Chipotle. And then on the other side of it, you have the Unity software and some of the the, the names that we've, we've been critical of here at the beginning of the show. But this will allow, over the course of time, those names to grow into the valuation. So I applaud this. I think it's fantastic and it's targeting the specific component of the population where the economic growth is going to come in the next decade.
2: Liz Young, I'm gathering that you uh, know a thing or two about what younger investors are thinking about given your role at SoFi. Huh.
4: Oh, that's not because you think I'm young, it's because of my role. I get it. Okay. Among other <laughs> reasons. Technically, technically I'm a geriatric millennial, I guess. I'm like the oldest that there is. (laughs) Yes, I do think that this is an absolutely amazing development. I think that number one, it validates their importance in the market. They've been screaming to us since this pandemic began, notice me. And when I look at SoFi's platform and our 10 most heavily owned stocks, six of those 10 are in this ETF. So I think you guys got it right on the money. I think that this is a wonderful investment for that age group, and to Joe's point, they are the next gen of investors. We have to acknowledge their importance. We have to acknowledge what they're going to invest in.
2: Weiss?
5: You know, I, I heard one name there, the only one I, that that drew my attention. That was Moderna, of course, and I'm hoping that that gets fully funded today and, and bails me out a little about what's happening. Look, it's a good thing, and hopefully that when they when they invest in these names they do take the long-term approach and i like the fact that it's diversified so you won't suffer maybe what the arc funds are suffering now because it goes across industries and it goes across valuation so i think it's a great
2: tool and uh, i'm all in favor of some really interesting names there all right coming up on thursday should remind you as well december 9th jim kramer is hosting a special event for the cnbc investing club He's going to share his outlook for 2022, answer members' questions, and you can join the club. As I hope you know by now, go to cnbc.com slash investing club. You uh, have the link to attend the event. You'll uh, be sent to Jim's newsletter as well. You've got the QR code right there. You can scan it. You'll figure out, uh, obviously, everything you need to know about Jim's club. All right. Up next, the big ETFs to watch today. Before we do take a break, take a look at the S&P sectors, utilities. Leading the pack. Rates are low. Utilities up two and a third percent for that sector. Dow's good for about 685. Nice reversal for the Nasdaq, too. It's up two thirds of one percent, pushing on 100 points. We're back right after this.
9: The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
6: What does it mean to be rich?
10: Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
11: And welcome to the ETF edge portion of halftime report. How will the Fed's hawkish stance on tapering and potentially rate hikes affect the market in 2022? I'm Bob Pisani. Let's find out what the CEO of one of the world's largest private investment firms is telling his clients. Gerard O'Reilly is the co-CEO of dimensional fund advisors, one of the largest value managers in the world and a leader in converting mutual funds into ETFs. Gerard, thanks for joining us. Uh, Assuming the Fed is indeed accelerating its taper and perhaps even accelerating rate hikes, how might this affect the stock market in 2022? What are you telling your clients?
12: Thanks, Bob, and thanks for having me on the show. Good to see you again. Well, what we're telling our clients is look to the long term. Uh, If you're a long term investor, it's important to focus on the long term data And if you look over the past 40 years, Bob, uh, you look at the average monthly return on the U.S. market, it's been about 1%. Now, in one-sixth of the months over the past 40 years, the Fed has raised the target Fed funds rate. And in about one-sixth of the months, it's decreased the target Fed funds rate. And it's been about 1% uh, uh, return on the U.S. market, regardless of if the Fed has raised or decreased the Fed funds rate. Today, the Fed is really telegraphing what it's planning to do over the next few months. So if it does what it says it will do, uh, you can expect the long-term return on the stock market. So what we're telling our clients is stay focused on the long-term. And over the long pull, the U.S. market has delivered about 1% uh, a month in average returns.
11: That has been your message for the, the 20 years that I've known you. Dimensional was one of the earliest firms to offer passive investing, but you skew towards smaller company stocks. You also skew towards value stocks. Small cap and value and small cap value have done well this year but it's the first outperformance in a while. Uh, given the uncertainty over the Omicron variant, what is the outlook for small cap and value in 2022?
12: Well, Bob, you've got the message spot on, and it's similar for small cap and value, which is look to the long pull. Uh, and certainly over the past 12, 18 months, small cap and value stocks have done pretty well around the world, and uh, we're pleased that our clients have been able to capture those returns. But look to the long pull, and uh, you know, when you look at the average returns of small cap and value, uh, they've been strong on average, but they've also been strong in years after small cap and value has done well. Uh, so they tend to pull in their long term average uh, after those years. And so again, for 2022, uh, it's the same message, which is we believe small cap and value stocks will outperform large in growth. Uh, so if you overweight your strategies towards those stocks, you should expect higher, higher returns from your stock investments. All right. Much more on the outlook
11: for 2022. Coming up on ETF Edge, we'll talk value versus growth. We'll talk the outlook for bonds and we'll talk about the continuing growth of ETFs. Gerard will be joined by Nate Girachi. He's from the ETF store. ETFedge.cnbc.com, 1 p.m. Eastern time. Halftime back right after this.
13: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to The Halftime Report. I am Brian Sullivan at the World Petroleum Congress in Houston, Texas. Get back to Scott and the gang in just a moment. But just a moment ago, we had the chance to catch up with arguably one of the most important people in the world for oil and gas, and that is a Ramco CEO, Amon Nasser, here. Got a couple of questions in with him, and I began by asking if he is bullish on oil demand and maybe prices in 2022.
12: First, let me point that we do not decide on the prices. We
2: put the differential on benchmarks, whether it's Dubai, uh, Oman, or is it uh, Iceprint, or ASCII. So we look at the quality of our crude, and how competitive it is in different markets, and we set the differentials. And sour crudes and the need for fuel oil is more in demand, and that's why our differential took that into perspective when we put the differentials for... And we set these differentials every month. And we are very bullish on, the, very optimistic on the pickup in demand. We think 22 will be to, uh, will be exceeding the uh, pre dynamic level in terms of the demand. So uh, right now it is balanced between supply and demand. However, next year there will be more demand.
13: Yeah, guys. So they had just raised their OSPs, official selling prices, over the weekend to both the U.S. and Asia. It's kind of a monthly rolling deal. That's how we began. But they're raising prices later on, and the full comments will be on CNBC.com. We asked them about demand from the U.S., about jet fuel. They think demand and travel is going to take off, the travel stocks. Many of them certainly have today as well. So despite Omicron, despite some of the variant concerns, Amin Nasser, Siova one of the world's most experienced oil people, is not worried about demand. In fact, he is bullish on it next year. Maybe one reason that oil prices are higher right now.
2: By more than 3%. Brian, thanks so much for bringing that to us. We'll look forward to more of your interview sure. uh, coming up throughout the day. That's Brian Sullivan for us today. All right. Leads us to EVs. Rivian initiated overweight today at Morgan Stanley. They call it the one that can challenge Tesla. Adam Jonas, of course, the analyst there. We've made it our call today. the day. So Joe, you own Ford. Weiss, you own Porsche and Volkswagen, as, as people know. Uh, Joe, you first, I suppose, on what you think about this one. Um, okay. Is it the one?
3: Well, first of all, the ownership of Ford is because the valuation is more reasonable. Uh, let's remember that Kathy Wood has not even blessed the valuation on Rivian. So, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, they also put out notes citing the challenges surrounding valuation. Uh, Rivian in the long term, yes, it is ultimately going to challenge Tesla because it is introducing the type of vehicle right now that is really not significantly available uh, in in the environment where you're looking for the SUV. You're looking for that last mile fleet. You're looking for the EV pickup truck. So I think at, at some course uh, in the future, yeah, I want to step in. I want to buy a Rivian. I will. I think the company with a 20 percent Stake from Amazon is is well uh, positioned, but in the climate that we're in now,
2: I think you have to respect valuation and go with something that's more reasonable, like a GM or a Ford. I mean, it's come down nine percent in a week. I, I know you have such an affinity for buying high and selling higher, Joe, but maybe a nine percent pullback is well, is your ticket here.
3: No. No. November 16th, the stock was up at 172. The stock has basically fallen right back to where it was uh, in the days following the IPO. Uh, To me, that's not a well-defined, established uptrend that signals you're buying high, and at some future point, you're selling higher. Uh, uh, the, The course of one week doesn't do it for me. Sorry. You don't mind when I promote your book repeatedly, do you? Scott, Scott, the thousands of copies that you have in your basement, yeah. um,
2: you, you absolutely
3: should be promoting it.
2: Yeah. OK. <laughs> Weiss, Porsche and Volkswagen quick, and then we're going to bounce.
5: Yeah, look, I, I think Rivian's much too expensive here. I'd rather stay with stocks that are selling at seven times, which are already the leader in EVs in Europe and will be in the rest of the world. Those are the two names you mentioned.
2: All right. We've got a couple of interesting stories that are Leslie Pickers following for us. She's following the money, as always, a new SPAC. Goes public. Plus, an activist investor is targeting Coles. We'll hear from her next. Welcome back. A digital media company goes public via SPAC, and an activist investor rattles the cage. Coles, our Leslie Picker, of course, is following the money for us on both stories. Let's let's do Buzzfeed first uh, because it got out of the gates. Great, uh, got out of the gates. Great is what I meant yeah. to say. Uh, 1477, the (laughs) highs of the day, and now it's barely above nine bucks.
10: Yeah, there's a lot of volatility in this debut today. As you mentioned, BuzzFeed surging as much as 30% when it first started trading. Then it traded as low as uh, down 13%. Now you can see it's uh, lower by about 5% today. Well, You might be wondering why so much volatility here. One of the main reasons, if not the main reason, is really this risky structure that's embedded in SPACs. And that has to do with something called redemptions, where most SPACs give investors uh, the option of basically redeeming their shares at the IPO price, usually about $10 each, if they so choose. A majority of investors approved this merger, but 94 percent of investors decided to withdraw uh, their cash from this company uh, at that $10 price, leaving just $16 million in cash in trust for BuzzFeed. So that implies a very small float for a $1.5 billion market cap company, which is why you're seeing so many price swings today.
2: You know, I'm I'm looking at the other story we're talking about, and, and that's Kohl's. Which is no stranger to activism. And I think I don't remember when it was a year ago or so when we had an activist on our program, John Duskin from Masellum talking about nominating a a slate for Coles board. And now you have engine, not engine number one. Right. But somewhat related.
10: Yeah. Same name, at least. This is Engine Capital. And as you mentioned, Duskin settled. Uh, he was in a group with three other activists. They settled. And that standstill is set to expire in January, I think. But this situation, this is Engine Capital. I'm told by a source close to the m- matter that they're not working in any sort of group capacity. This is node, Adler. Uh, it's a $400 million fund. They have a 1% stake in Kohl's, which amounts to about $70 million, uh, although definitely in the green after today, much higher. So Basically, what they're saying is that the company should be evaluating strategic alternatives, potentially spinning off uh, their e-commerce division, similar to what Macy's is exploring and what Sachs has agreed to do. They say that the digital business alone, this is according to the letter, would be worth 12.4 billion dollars, which is actually 40% higher than the current enterprise value of the entire business today. So this is something that we can expect to probably see across the retail industry. Uh, The company in a statement saying that the Kohl's board and management team continuously examine all opportunities for maximizing shareholder value. uh, But they do appreciate the ongoing dialogue they have with their shareholders and value their input and perspective. Scott.
2: Yeah. uh, It's good for the shares today. Uh, There's no doubt about that, up nearly 8 percent. Leslie, thank you so much. That's Leslie Picker. By the way, uh, aside from the statement, you're going to hear directly from Kohl's CEO, Michelle Gass. She's going to join the closing bell this Wednesday at three o'clock Eastern so uh, she can respond directly to this latest uh, activist campaign. Look forward to that. Final trades after this quick break. A reminder, tomorrow, right on this program, do not miss J.P. Morgan's chief global market strategist, Marco Kalanovic. He'll give us 2022 outlook. Always interested to hear from him. Let's do final trades. Liz Young, you're first.
4: Small cap value, even in the midst of rate volatility this year and new variants, it's outperformed large cap value and performed in line with large cap growth. I think it does better than both next year.
2: All right. Thank you, Surat.
1: CVS. Uh, booster shots are giving them a shot in the arm for earnings. And they have an uh, earnings uh, day coming up in the next two weeks. So oh. I think that should be a
5: good catalyst. Okay. Steve Weiss? I'm short TLT, which is a 20-year bond. I think you do that. Rates are only going one direction here. Yeah.
2: All right. Yeah, we'll see about that. All right, Joe.
3: At V, mid-teams valuation about to break out above its January 2018 high going higher buy right. high sell
2: higher Scott. Good, good stuff guys dow by the way speaking of hires up better than 700 points the exchange picks it up right there there you go you've been listening to cnbc's halftime report the podcast you can always catch us live weekdays at 12 eastern only on cnbc picture
5: this you're on a john deere compact tractor enjoying the sun as you clear brush across your pasture you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.